What's going on, folks? Just wanted to give you guys a little update before we dive into today's podcast. Um, first off, thanks for sticking with me, guys. <laughs> I'm struggling through a cold here, so you hear a lot of coughing. Um, but we hadn't put out a podcast in a week and a half, two weeks, something like that, which is you know out of the, out of the ordinary for um, the schedule we've been on recently. So thanks, guys. We really wanted to get this one out, and uh, we're happy we did. Um, but also, I really want I I need to let you guys know. I am doing a giveaway, um, partnered with Final Approach on this one. Um, the giveaway is for a dozen of the flocked black ducks and a dozen of the flocked head mallard decoys and um, two dozen rigs for those decoys and a 12-slotted bag as well. So um, check it out, guys. It's going to be in the show notes. It's going to be all over my Facebook, my Instagram. Um, it's going to be in the Fellowship of the Duck Gun our podcast group. So uh, you will be able to find it, but you click on the link, you go there. There's eight different ways to enter. I think you can do all of them, combine the points, and that increases your odds of uh, of winning the giveaway. So um, make sure you check that out. Like I said, it'll be in the show notes, um, but maybe if it's easier, uh, you can jump over to any of the other social medias and find that and jump in this giveaway. It's going for a week. So definitely go ahead and jump in there. Um, but without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in today's podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host per usual. Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting. How are you doing tonight, Elliot? I'm doing great. I'm excited about these questions. I, I love these episodes where we just answer questions from just random questions from the podcast group. Oh, yeah, definitely. They're uh, always one of my favorite as well. And uh, honestly, we had a lot of interaction in the in the Fellowship of the Duck Gun group over there on Facebook. That's our uh, YouTube channel and podcast combination group over there. Um, so, yeah, if you guys aren't in there, like Elliot said, we probably do this about three, four, five times a year. Just whenever we feel like it, um, I drop in a, a thread and everybody starts asking questions. So definitely stay tuned for that. And uh, it's going to be a good one. But man, we have, uh, I feel like we haven't talked in a while, Elliot. It's been like what? A month? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we hit up Marco Polo here and there and all that. But, um, yeah, I definitely got, I think we'll have to narrow down how many updates we we have, but I got one story for you that uh, that I think you'll enjoy hearing. All right. So we should start with that one. All right. So um, this Saturday, I, man, actually, I got two stories to tell you. We're going to have to tell both of them, I think. So okay. first we'll start with Saturday's story. Um so we're headed out to the duck hunt on Saturday, um, going down the toll road, toll road about 70 miles per hour. And my trailer, my boat trailer came loose. Ooh. Have you ever had that happen? Uh, in town once. You mean it hopped off the hitch? It hopped off the hitch. Yeah, I had it happen one time in town. Man, I tell you what, that is scary. Yeah. I looked and back I was there. Going only like 30 miles an hour when it happened to me. How fast are you going? <laughs> I was going like 70 down the toll road. Did you forget to uh, to clip it or something? No, I clipped it. In? I clipped it. Um, and, like, I mean, I remember, like, pulling up on it and making sure it was hitting the ball. And uh, everything was good to go. We start going down the road. We hit a bump kind of hard. And uh, I didn't have a, a hitch pin in. But, like, I've never, like, 
I know you're supposed to have one in, right? But I've I've not had them in before. And is yours like like ours is kind of rusty? Is yours like a is the I don't know what's called that part that that the, handle or the yeah the clasp? Or, I don't know. Is it rusty or like I guarantee ours isn't coming up because it's like you gotta <laughs> yank it. Is yours brand new and slick? It's not brand new and slick. It's somewhere in between. But uh, either way, I hit that bump and like the boat is weighted down pretty pretty heavy in the back. Add decoys and I have the mud motor on it and it just naturally wants to like bounce back. So, anyways, it bounced back pretty hard. We hit a bump and it just came loose. And so, like, everybody's sleeping because it's early in the morning. Everybody wakes up, like, what happened? And I'm like, we lost the trailer. And I'm, you know, I'm just uh, watching it in the rearview mirror and it is fishtailing everywhere. Sparks are flying. It has the safety, the safety hooks. Right, right. The safety hooks are still attached, but just sparks flying. And it's just fishtailing everywhere. So I try to slow up and, like, you know, slow the truck, like, kind of connect the truck and trailer. And so... What was this you were pulling? It's the... It's my uh, Lund. It's the big boat I got. The big big aluminum. Yeah. 16-foot aluminum with a 23-horse bud motor. Full decoys. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a a decent-sized boat. You know, it's got, like, the the decking and the flooring and and Mm -hmm. insulation. So it's a... You know, it's not like a light John boat, but it's not like a huge, like, it's not as heavy duty as like your boat you got that's all weld. So, <clears throat> all that in perspective. But yeah, so it, uh, I, I break and the, the boat runs right into us, you know, um, just trying to slow it up. And then when I do. It with? Were you pulling it with the bus? No, with my truck. Okay. And, uh, which I have, I have Silverado 1500. Um, so it hits the back of the truck and it's like, it bounced off of it. And I mean, I didn't think I stopped that fast, right? Like, it's not like I slammed on my brakes, but it bounced off of it and it straightened out the safety hooks, which is like unbelievable to me. So now I look in the rearview mirror and this thing is like 10 feet behind me. It's not connected at all. Oh, (laughs) so it kicked, it, it came off of the. Yeah, James it, it, it straightened the hooks. The hooks straightened out. I don't know oh, if it was straight. Okay. Oh my gosh. So I don't know if it was from dragging us or or dragging oh, the boat. Those hooks. They they look like any other standard hooks I've ever seen for safety hooks on a boat. Trailer. <laughs> what force it would take to straighten those out? I don't know, but yeah, they straighten a lot. straightened a lot it out. And uh, wow. and so. But at this point, it wasn't fishtown. I thought for sure when it's fishtown that it was going to flip or it was going to go so off. Free and, hit. and clear from the truck at this point. Yeah, it's free and clear. And, you know, it's just a miracle it didn't flip to start with. Hits the truck, and now it's like going, you know, it's just veering off slightly to veer off the side of the road. So I swerve my truck in front of it and get right in front of it and just try to, like, match the speed, and it bumps into the back of it. And then I slow to a stop. <laughs> and, oh, wow. That's a superhero move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So then we hooked the, the trailer and boat back up and we went hunting. So you got in front of it, matched the speed, and slowed it to a stop. Yep. While it was disconnected. That is impressive. <laughs> that is impressive. I'm telling you, the whole thing was a miracle. Wow. You, and no damage? Oh, no. no, no. I, I, can't, my, uh, I can't shut my uh, tailgate anymore. So <laughs> well, you're lucky that you still have a boat, a boat and motor, right? Yeah, 
I can't imagine coming out of that situation much better than that. Yeah. Right. Like I'm not even like that upset about the tailgate. I bet your adrenaline was about 99 out of a hundred at the end of uh, that. Man, I was honestly like cool as a cucumber. I don't know. Like I really didn't like, I didn't freak out, you know? Wow. That's cool. That's uh, I thought like, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy because it should something way worse should have happened from that. Like it should have gone off. I thought, I thought for sure we we're going to lose the boat off the side of the road or it was going to flip or yeah. So anyways, like I said, pretty happy that <laughs> nothing terrible happened, but, yeah. Oh, I guess the, the only thing I, I did, I lost a dozen decoys. So they were in the boat and they flew out. Yeah. Uh, Which decoys did you lose? Was it the live mallards or what? Yeah, it was. Those are expensive. Yeah. Well, you went back and couldn't find them, or you just like screw it. I'm going home. No, I just didn't notice till later on. Yeah, someone's got some nice decoys. Yeah. Yep. So you got any updates? Well, man, it's been so long. I don't even know. I don't even remember what we talked about last time. I mean, we went on a big hunt weekend last weekend. How about how about you tell us about your uh, your trip you got coming up? Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, I think this is the first time it's been talked about publicly. Um, so, you're sure keeping uh, you're sure keeping that it, tight lip on it when it's happening, like <clears throat> this week. Yeah, I I don't know. I've just this has been such a busy week. It's just been so busy. Um, so Jake from Chasing Green kind of organized this whole deal, and Jordan is supposed to go, but he bailed out. Um, where there's six of us that are meeting at an undisclosed location. And the people that are going to be there is Jake from chasing green, Matt from high Prairie sportsman, Thomas from Thomas Hoke, um, Jordan <laughs> from Thomas, Neely, who has uh, Jordan's harvest channel. And then the golden boy. Um, <clears throat> what are you giggling about? Well, cause you said uh, Thomas from Thomas Hoke, but it's Hoke outdoors. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, and so six of us are meeting up in this, undisclosed location that none of us have have any knowledge of well there matt has a i think actually matt has a little more knowledge than what he's letting on is what i think but anyway so we're the whole idea is we're gonna we're six of us are going up to an area where we've never been we have no idea about it and we're gonna shoot a bunch of videos of us learning the place from scratch but we're gonna throw a little twist into it now the the i'll say that the number one goal of this is to show the viewers how different people from different areas and different flyways attack hunting a place that they've never been. So Thomas is from the East coast, Matt and I are central flyway. Um, Jake's Arkansas. Um, so I do, we are still a little central flyway heavy, but um, we've got three of the flyways represented. And so the idea is to kind of show how different hunters attack a new area and how they do it. But a little twist is we're going to run it as a competition. So when we get there, we're actually getting there tomorrow night we are going to put different colored shells, two different colored shells or three colors, two of each into a hat. Everyone picks a shell and whoever's color of shotgun shell you have that matches yours is your partner for the weekend. And so you after that, we'll go because I mean, I don't know how much everyone else has been scouting. I can tell you I put hours into this scout and I feel really confident with the amount of time I put into this stuff because I know. I'll know at least how much time Aiden's put into it. I know how much time Jake has put into it. And I feel confident that I've got a 
better working knowledge of this place just from scouting and stuff. Anyway, going to go off with our partners and decide on how we're going to attack the scout. And the whole day Friday will just be scouting. And if you want to hunt Friday, you can, but it doesn't count towards the competition. Then on Saturday, you go out and hunt with your partner. And we're using um, the freelance hunt stats um, score scoring method to keep track of it. So if I get um, Jake as a partner, it'll be his score plus my score, and that's our daily score. And so we've got two days, three teams, and we're just going to have a little competition to see who can um, basically be more productive in a new location using your per- personal methods to get it done. So we're all staying in this Airbnb. It's, man, it's, I'm, I wish you were going, Jordan. I'm so excited <laughs> about this thing. It's, I, I, I can tell you, I, I'm more excited about this trip than any of those I've been on because I have not gone through like a full scouting a new place. Um, I haven't gone through that since the last time I did anything similar is when we went up to the Missouri River up on the South Dakota and Nebraska border. And I like printed out like back then there was no Onyx wasn't a thing. So I like I printed out and laminated satellite images and put them all in a little book. And and I just had forgotten how much fun that scouting a place you've never been is. And so I have had so it's rejuvenated me to learning new areas and so this whole i'm more excited about the day friday of just seeing all these new areas that i've been scouting and i'm almost more excited about that day than i am the actual actual hunts but (laughs) i i want i don't want to you know the competition i said is a side thing but i certainly want to i mean we're all competitive right (laughs) yeah i want to do well yeah everybody wants to win getting figuring out who my partner is out of all those guys jake jordan neely Aiden Thomas and Matt. I just that whole process. I can't wait for. Yeah. No, it does. It, it is a super super cool idea, and I'm uh, pretty disappointed I can't make it. But yeah, there's always you next had year. A slot. You had a slot next year. What we would like to, if this works out well, is to turn into eight teams and run a two day tournament where it's like actually a tournament bracket where if you win you advance, if you lose you go to the consolation bracket type of thing but again we our our goal is to make the process what is the most important part of it and the competition thing is just a friendly fun little thing and again we will be tracking that with freelance hunt stats which is cool um good avenue to do that but i'm really 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 excited about this whole deal and i i can't tell you how much crap i'm taking i'm taking the big boat i'm taking my layout boat i'm taking the um, final approach stand-up blind i'm taking a bunch of goose decoys. I mean, I, I am throwing everything I have pretty much at this because I have no idea. I have no idea what I'm going to need. So the amount of stuff I'm taking is just ridiculous. Yep. Well, it's like you said, you always got to have a, a tool. Um, every every tool you need, a, or every job you need a different tool. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And Matt's actually in the uh, chat group here. I wish there was a way to ban him. Nah, man. <laughs> I would love to get teamed up with Matt. Um, I, there's not anyone I wouldn't want to get teamed up with, but um, yeah, I would really be thrilled to get teamed up with Matt for sure. That's about the only person I wouldn't want to be teamed up with if I was going. Why? You don't want to shoot a bunch of ducks? That's not what's going to happen. Depends. I guess it depends right. on this. Right. Have you been watching how many ducks he's been killing lately? That's how you know he's it's not like a good duck hunter. Every day, every day. <laughs> limit, limit, limit. It's like shooting farm. It's like shooting farm ducks out there in Nebraska. Right. You just go out there and and they just appear. <laughs> I can promise you this: 
Um, the common man in Nebraska's bird per hunt average is not what Matt's been running the last two years. That I can assure you. He doesn't. He doesn't put his skunks in. Well, whether that's true or not, I think he actually. I think he does put his skunks in. He's actually. I've been. I don't know how I got these numbers because I don't think he was using freelance sun stats three years ago. But I feel like that his numbers the last two years are significantly better than they had been like two or three years before that. Like he was running averages just below three ducks a hunt, and and like last year I think he was high threes if not four, and this year he's way up there too. Must be the the mouth calling. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I wouldn't be talking this much trash if he wasn't in chat. So, <laughs> or maybe I would. Who knows? Yeah. So, moving on to the next story. Well, anyways, good luck. I hope that you win. I hope Matt's not on your team and you crush him, crush his spirits. <laughs> and uh, all right. So here's my next crazy story. So I've had I've had some other uh, crazy crazy stories, man. So. Um, this is a first for me. We're on a public land hunt about 500 yards away from someone's home and they come out, they heard us like motor by on the river and they came out and started yelling at us at first light again. No, did I take two? Is this okay? Why are you saying take two because of like the goose hunt last year? Yeah. The guy yelling at you last year. Yeah. Buried the podcast about. Yeah. So that guy, um, so anyways, New scenario. Um, this guy comes out and he's Before yelling. Tell that I need. I need an. I need an idea of the surroundings. Are you river again? Is it's it it's river. It's river. It's a cattail river. It's like a cattail marsh, but a river. It's a really and slow flowing. That bump up against it, I assume. No, like we can't. We can't. We can see like one house. It's like five hundred yards away. Um, huh. and then there's another house that we can't see at all, and that's where this guy's at. And he's like four or five hundred yards away. So he comes out and starts yelling. Had you even set up your decoys or you just motoring by? No, we'd set up our decoys. Okay. It's like pitch black. You know, it's calm. It's a calm morning. It's probably 30 minutes till shooting light. And he starts yelling about how we're on his property. <clears throat> and like we're in the boat on the on the river. So so the, the river laws are you can be you just can't be off the high water mark. So you just can't come out of the bank, right? Yeah. Yeah, so we're completely legal in this scenario, <clears throat> and so he comes out, and so um, we pr- we tell him to call the DNR. That's what we tell tell him. How like, close was he to you guys? We couldn't even see him. We just all we could hear is yelling. I don't know how close he got to us. He's yelling like um, some of the stuff we can't pick up. Some of it we can, you know. But he's yelling. Pretty much, he's yelling because he says we're on his property. I don't know if he's like a deer hunter and he doesn't like duck hunter shooting in the water and scaring the deer away or whatever. Does you know? he think that you guys are maybe set up on the bank and he doesn't realize you're in a boat? Who knows? But we, I mean, we, we tell him that um, we tell him to call the DNR and he says, this is, this is verbatim what he says. He says, the DNR is not the law. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he says. And then he says, he says, they're just the enforcers of it that interpret everything. <laughs> he says, I'm well within my rights to shoot you for, for trespassing. <laughs> That's what he says. Wow. Yeah. And so then we call the DNR. We're like, yeah. <laughs> Do you have your head cam rolling on this? No, I don't. That's, oh. 
I know. So it would have been great. Huge fail. And it actually would have came in clutch even later on. So um, so we called the DNR and said, hey, this guy just threatened to shoot us. Um, can you come out here? And he's like, well, let me see if someone's closer. And um, If not, you're on your own? That <clears throat> no, if not, I'll come. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. So if not, I will come. And uh, <clears throat> so anyways, um, this guy fires off a couple rounds. Holy. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a 22. Like I said, How like. How close did that sound to you? It, it's like a 22, right? And it's not like we heard like. Ping. Yeah, it's not like we heard like pings or like the wing, the wind whistling. So we're like, okay, he's probably firing him into the sky to. Make I us scared at that point. I can tell you, I would. <laughs> we actually, we would have had to go by, like, we would have had to go to, like closer to him to leave. Well, I guess you should have just started firing back. We, all we had is shotgun shells, right? So, um, that makes a louder boom than a twenty-two. Yeah, <laughs> that was a joke, everyone. Should have fired back. <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, um, then we call the DNR again. He says, "I'm on my way." <laughs> yeah, I'm on my way, and so um, we can actually we can see the road close like we can see like little parts of the road so like 20 minutes later like two cop cars come buzzing by and go into his house and then not long after that the dnr goes into his house in the meantime it's shooting light and so we start shooting ducks like we're on yeah (laughs) so but like when birds are going by i still don't know like he's still firing a gun like i don't know if he's trying to scare the birds now he sees birds coming he shoots to scare them the cops get there obviously yeah yeah before the cops get there so <clears throat> yeah, crazy. So that was it. Yeah, then the DNR comes they, out they there. Ever talk to you? Did they ever talk to you? No, we never talked to him. We talked to the DNR, yeah. and pretty much he said that uh, there's no way to prove like um, intent. Uh, he like like we don't have evidence of what he said. You know what I mean? Like I said, camera wasn't rolling. <laughs> so they go talk to him, and he said he's he's uh, he's just firing at his firing range. Like he, he denied saying he was going to shoot you. Probably. So, so did, they did. he just said that he's smart. The guy, the homeowner smart enough not to admit anything and he cannot prove anything or prove intent. Um, you know, did if they tell him that you guys were legal, everything you're doing was legal. Obviously. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. He check, I mean, and then he, he's like, I'm out here. So I have to check like licenses, all that kind of stuff. So he checks everything. You had to go. So, Yeah. And he's like, that is crazy. Yeah. He pretty much said that, <clears throat> excuse me, the guy's like a known issue. Jeez. So you should go egg his house. <laughs> no, I'm not going anywhere near you ever, it. Have you ever egged anyone's house before? Um, I don't think so. Oh man. I egged the teacher's house in high school. <laughs> we, we, I was the driver. I, I was the driver of the, of the drive by <laughs> egging. Oh man. Nice. This is uh, Lita Brandt. <laughs> we had one. That lady. We had one that was kind of, we uh we went kind of crazy on. We uh I don't even know why we picked this person, but my buddy picked this person, not me. I was just along for the ride. But we like teepeed the crap out of their house, and um, then when we got done, we paintballed their doors, took paintball <laughs> guns, shot their doors, and then like there was like six of us. And we just lit off as many fireworks as we could and threw them all over the yard and left. 
apparently you weren't worried about anyone coming out or and then oh no talk? then he came out and uh was it like a, 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 a someone your age he was he was like he was like four or five years older than us like I, like i said i don't know why that person was picked but like uh how old were you at the time last year <laughs> probably like 16 17 something like that yeah that's about that's how i was doing <laughs> the rest of the story i think would be better served not on air so <laughs> oh man i got i'll be asking about that one later. yeah so but i was uh, not a very mischievous high schooler that was like my one big mischievous i hated this teacher <laughs> I hated her i don't even remember why yeah never done that I would. I couldn't bring myself to egg somebody. That'd be terrible. I was just driving. I was the driver, <laughs> and this cute girl and my buddy were in the back of the truck. I was the. They made some direct hits, though. I could tell. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, I guess we should get a quick word from our partners, and then jump to all the Q and A questions, and um, go from there. So, first off, I'd like to give a big thanks to. Onyx. Onyx is an awesome application for the waterfowler. I'm sure you used it a ton for your scouting. I've been doing a ton of scouting too. Tracking, marking, knocking on doors. Actually, I did some scouting earlier this morning um, while I hunted or on the way after I hunted. And I went back and knocked on doors and got two for four on yeses. That's a big fist pump because anytime you go 50%, that's pretty good. So check them out, guys. Onyx is awesome for the waterfowler. Uh, motion ducks decoy you can product code is duck gun 2020 for 10 percent off and i used it for the first time um on this most recent hunting trip we had a um, morning that was just no wind at all so we went small set motion ducks. actually my set is is growing a little bit with this because i used to think oh dozen decoys motion ducks that's about right for getting because i want all of the decoys to be affected by the motion ducks decoy <coughs> system but now I did two dozen. I, I did a half dozen pintail, half dozen gadwall, and a dozen and a half teal. And I felt like that those ripples got everything. It's just, man, I'm telling you guys, if you're not using motion on the water on no wind days, this is what you need to use. I've used I've used um, those butt ripplers. I've used the, the little spraying things. I've used traditional jerk rigs. I've used motion ducks. It is the best product. This is why they've been the longest partner that we've had. It's an amazing product. Motion Ducks decoy spreader system. Awesome. Also like to give a big thanks to Weatherby. You guys have been loving running the Weatherby shotgun this year. I've been using the 20 gauge. I'll tell you right now, I think I've probably been probably been shooting better than I ever have. Um, and just really knocking them dead with that 20 gauge. <clears throat> it's a new, new model form. And, uh, you know, coming out with some higher end, <laughs> wow, I'm losing my voice here. Some higher-end shotguns for the waterfowler. Um, it is the 18i over there, and they got it in the 12-gauge and in the 20-gauge in the deluxe model. So check them out. I certainly the best shooting I've ever had after, I don't know what, I've got 10 hunts under my belt. I'm shooting about 65%. Um, and I just automatic difference between the one I was going to use them before. Um Tetra hearing system, guys, you've got to be protecting your hearing. I am 49 years old, and I have aggressive hearing loss, and it's because I didn't protect. And that was a conscious, stupid 20-year-old decision because I didn't want to pay the money for anything. And 
And I just wanted to be able to hear when I was out there. And now I'm paying the price. I'm paying the price. So you need to check out hearing protection. This, this Tetra is the best there is on the market. I truly believe it. Awesome. <clears throat> also like to give a big thanks to uh, Final Approach. Guys, Final Approach and Rogers Sporting Goods. Um, has some awesome products for <laughs> the waterfall. LA. I'm struggling. Uh, <clears throat> go ahead and uh, take it. I'm going to like go get a drink. I was actually at the Rogers warehouse today and uh, Josh Matador limits. He was up there and contact Chandler. And since I have been get using the products of final approach, I knew it was a good product because Josh was using it, but I can tell you that I'm blown away by the products, by the clothing, by the decoys, by the, passion that the guys that are putting these products out have for waterfowling every little detail they have thought of i'm telling you i talked to them about it and they are so passionate about what they're doing if you have never looked into the final approach waterfowl gear it is worth your time to do it so make sure and check it out also freelance hunt stats which soon we're gonna have a name change to north american waterfowler but it's not yet we're having a lot of people come join us over there um, just people signing up all the time. It's freelancehuntstats.com or on iOS and Android. Just look up hunt stats, a little orange symbol with a white duck in the middle. And you are basically just journaling about your hunting life. And you can connect with friends on there and create crews. If you know who the Flyways Collective is, it's Jordan and my little YouTuber group. We're all connected on there. So anytime that Josh or Jordan goes on a hunt, and they log it. I can go in there and look at their hunt. Now, I can't see their locations. We've blocked that out. Can't see the locations of anyone you join with. But I can see, like I was talking about Matt from My Prairie Sportsman, I can go and look and see how many ducks he shot. I can see his shooting percentage if he logs it. I can see um, his totals. It's just an amazing system. And we've got a leaderboard where, right now, Jordan's in the top 10, which is a huge surprise. And uh, just because of where he lives. But huge accomplishment for Jordan living where he lives to be in the top 10 on the leaderboard. Leaderboards for mallards, teal, geese. Um, it's just an incredible system. If you are a waterfowl fanatic like Jordan and I are, and you're at work and you think about this stuff all the time, this just adds to that addiction, I'm telling you. And if you really want to get a two-for-one, you can go to patreon.com slash freelancestuckhunting, sign up there, and you can get on our Patreon and have Freelance Hunt Stats. It comes with a, a, uh, a monthly subscription. So check it out, guys. I'm telling you, we are going to continue to ramp this thing up. And you are going to love it there. Awesome. Thanks for covering that, Elliot. Now on to the Q&A. Your throat's going out. You need to get checked for throat cancer or something. I think you're a closet smoker. <laughs> I've just have, I've been having colds, man. It's like <clears throat> only when we do them together, it's like. You're a sickly little fella. You don't have kids, man. When you have young yeah, kids, kids. Oh, young kids, young kids get sick all the time. And then it's just a matter of time till you get it. Yeah. <clears throat> you haven't been wearing your mask that you love to wear every day, even when you're in your car by yourself. I heard I heard that. Matt told me that he saw you. Um, no, Thomas told me this. Um, Thomas, because he was there visiting you, he said that he saw you driving down the street in your truck alone with a mask on. Mm. I would. Um, Confirmed. Yeah. I'm not the one that's vaccinated, so. <laughs> Touché. Well, what, do they, what do they call it we're uh we're pure, pure bloods <laughs> i will say if you guys want to really get into the whole vaccination thing you should follow the dark horse dark horse podcast it's 
really, really interesting. Book. With Brett Weinstein. Right. I love, I love, I love um, that podcast. I feel like they'll talk about fair-minded individuals. That's how I feel. Definitely not how we are on the, on the duck hunting side. Fair-minded? But, you're not. Well, you're super biased is what I was going to get at. But I've uh, I've broadened your horizons a lot in this podcast. You know, I feel you know we've got to be careful because those leftists, you know, you can't you're not allowed to have any counterpoints to what they're saying, and that's like the culture. It's like you can't even you can't even have a varying opinion. We've got to be really careful here in the waterfowl community that we don't get like that. That like alternative ideas are not welcome, or you get labeled as such, like boat blinds. <laughs> Southerners sky busting <laughs> you, had to, you had to pause there for a second <laughs> I had to take that one in are you saying that <laughs> anyone that I uh, wouldn't listen to a counter argument about sky busting <laughs> exactly you'd just be like no there's just no way that it's good well yeah but I, I would not demonize well maybe I would demonize you have you've <laughs> built a career on demonizing things <laughs> Right. Southerners, mm-hmm. an unmentionable thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> Southerners are the only group that I've really poked at. Yeah. And well, I that brings us that to the first fun. question. Who does Elliot hate more, Southerners or people under the age of 28? I don't hate either of them. I, I have I don't understand where the under the age of twenty eight comes from. What comments have I made about that? Just generally when you talk or video, you're always like demeaning to younger folks. I don't think I besides I like Golden Boy. Example. I would <laughs> like to hear one example of a quote that I've made. I have said things about Southerners because it's fun. It's fun to troll. And uh and I've I've got lots of Southern friends. I've got as many Southern duck hunting friends as I have non Southern, quite honestly. They're stacking up one way every year. I have no issue with Southerners whatsoever. I do like poking and trolling that. And I did have some some issues with kind of how some Southerners were behaving themselves, but um Yeah. But as far as people under age of twenty eight, I've never said anything. That well, maybe that maybe I have. I've said a lot of things. I don't <laughs> recall. There's too many things that we've said over like <laughs> the podcast and YouTube videos. I know because like I can go back and just listen to a random podcast and remember nothing that I said. Yeah, <laughs> we've done so many of them, but yeah. I mean, I don't have any contempt for for. Uh, well, let me make sure that that's true. Let me think about <laughs> that for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, the thing about you, the thing about younger hunters, and this is not always true. This is not always true because um, people under the age of thirty, let's say, because um, Aiden and my buddy Andy, I think he's under under thirty. This isn't always true. But anytime that you get someone who's less experienced, they're going to do like myself in my twenties. I did a lot of things hunting that um, if I was if I was trying to hunt around my former. 23 year old self i probably be wouldn't be overly happy about some of the things i was doing because although i did have my dad there kind of slapping me on the wrist when i did stuff but you know it's like it takes a while to mature to things like shot selection and not setting up too close to people especially if you don't have the proper mentor so you know but that does show those same ethics do show up in older and older people as well but i i don't i don't have any issue with people under the age of 30 all right, Reese Robertson says, "Is it worth it to patch or repair waders, <clears throat> or should you just cut your losses and buy new ones?" 
I would say it's not worth it. Just um, check with your your waiter companies. Make sure they have good good warranty, and then um, you know if they go out in that time, then you'll get new ones through the warranty. Um, but if you're like walking through a barbed wire fence or something, they're they're not going to cover it. So yeah. But those are the type of the holes you can patch, though. It depends on what type of hole it is. If it's a seam leak, boom, get it rid- done. Send it back if it's a seam. If you, because I did puncture. If you remember that second hunt I, I was on with you out there on teal season, I walked right into a barbed wire <laughs> fence. It was the second day I had those banded waders, and uh, those type of puncture ones, you can patch those. You can patch them. I patched that time I burnt my waders. If it's a seam leak, throw them away. If it's a obvious hole, you can patch those. So that would be. But if it, like Jordan said, if it's inside of that time frame where you can turn them back, because those holes probably will eventually end up rearing their head. But puncture ones you can handle if you can find them. Yeah. And then he said, what motion would be more important on the spread? Motion on the water, such as a rippler or jerk rig or a mojo or flickers? What's the wind like? <coughs> if it's a decent wind, I'll take the spinner. Any day. We don't, I don't even use motion, water motion, if it's above eight, nine miles an hour. I, mean, I don't even use it. Yeah. Because there's so much of it. If it's a wind, if it's a no wind day, you have to have water motion, period. Yeah. So probably the water motion. But early season, man, that mojo is is pretty good. Honestly, this year, though, I've used the mojo less than I ever have in my whole hunting career. So, now What brings you to not using it? Um, just kind of like testing it out to see how much of a difference it makes because I've just always used one. So I always assume that it's a good thing. So I kind of findings have been that, uh, I'm doing pretty well without it. (laughs) Excuse me. So I've, I've, I'm just a firm believer in spinners because I've, so many different days. I mean, I've talked about this in many videos. I've even labeled some of the videos about it. I've had so many days where things aren't working right, and I take the spinner down, and it gets worse. Yeah. And I put it back up, and it gets better. I won't so what about on good days, though? Ever. You just never – because you never don't use it on a good day because your go-to is just to have it out there and going. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're on the X, it's not going to matter. You can sit out there with one decoy. You know? So what if you're close to the X and you have, like, a motion ducks – going and you're calling and you have you know pretty good calling you know like kind of like mississippi flyway calling compared to that central flyway stuff but um <laughs> you know probably true i'm just saying you never There's have so those many times when ducks finish they finish right on the spinners so <coughs> times it happens sure not all the time it's just so often and so i i, I do believe there could very well be times where it's a negative i just over and over again, things aren't going well. I take down the spinner, it gets worse. I put the yeah, well, up, it gets better. I'm using the argument on the other end. What about on good days? You never. What's it matter? You never matter? don't use it on a good day. Well, maybe it'd be better without it. Better on a good day because you don't. Use I'm it. just saying you've never. You just always start with it. You go with your hunt. You put the mojo on and you turn it on, and that's it. Yeah. Well, I did go ten years without a spinner at all. Yeah. And I and I, I fought against spinners. I went, I missed the the best days of the spinners was year one and year two, where people just like went nuts about them. And I didn't want to use a spinner. I just didn't want to mess with it. I didn't want to pay for it. I didn't want to mess with it. I didn't like the idea of the sound of it, the electronics. I, I didn't like it at all. And I and I fought against it. 
And it was shown to me in the field that I had to have one. I had to because there was times in which I was like, there is no reason that I'm not shooting ducks here except for that guy over there has a spinner. And I remember I remember the moment that I said in my mind, I can't compete out here on public land without it. Now, have they become less have they become um that's what i'm looking for not as effective that's what people say but i and i'm sure that that's true but how could they be less effective on yearlings they can't be unless you're going to somehow say like genetically they're they're inheriting not liking spinners so the yearlings it's got to be as good on the yearlings as it was but at the first couple of years and unless you're saying well there wasn't as many spinners so therefore people they weren't seeing as many and that's fine too but i know that I know what I see. I see ducks finishing right around the spinner. And I take the spinner down and it doesn't improve it. I would love not to use a spinner. I'm I I'm not I'm not some kind of you know emotionally tied to one. I would love to to leave spinners at home. I just need to have more experiences of taking them down and then being that helping something but i understand what you're saying and that could be true but if i'm having a good day i'm not going to pull the spinner I promise you that. but i'm just saying if you start and it's a good day and you don't have the spinner you know what i mean like if you have a mediocre day you never pull the spinner right if it's just like fine you just keep the spinner out there what if you didn't have a spinner and it could be a good day well maybe i should try that a few times this year well you asked me why i was doing it that's kind of why because yeah. i've just always used it i'm like well yeah Let's you know see. yeah so that's nothing wrong with that. Yep. All right. Um, what this one's from Brock Harrison. What are a few of your favorite ways to prepare duck and goose? Are you guys going to cook them or wait? And are there any good ways to cook them or, or would you not recommend? Also, do you eat all the duck you shoot or what else do you do with them? Um, favorite ways, the age old favorite poppers, is always a good go-to. Um, pan searing them is awesome too. I like doing it pan searing, cubing it up, putting it on rice. Um, I, I like uh, slow cooking it and doing it shredded. Anything you can do with shredded beef, you can do with uh, duck that same way. Whether it's uh, beef and noodles, enchiladas, whatever. You can grind it up, uh, make it into hamburger. You can make chili out of it. Really, there's endless possibilities. A lot of good ways to eat it. Um, I eat a lot. I probably eat all the duck. I don't make it through all the goose, and then I end up processing it for like breakfast sausage, snack sticks, summer sausage, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I like the making it into like fillies. Um, I use a Louisiana Cajun batter and make it into little like pieces and fry it like <clears> that. <throat> my wife has an egg roll that she makes. It's just it's my absolutely my favorite thing made out, out of duck, and then just cooking it like steak. So do like sloppy joes, which isn't isn't for some reason when I do the sloppy joe stuff, it all it tastes a little gamey. I don't know why, I, yeah, but I still do that sometimes because it's a good way to consume it. Um, I need to get more creative with it. <clears throat> I need to get more ways. Yeah, for me, it's just I run out of time in season. I'm so busy. If I wasn't like so busy, I definitely would be more creative with it. But I find the stuff that's like I know how to do, I know works well, tastes good, and I stick with that. I know, and I want to get. I, I really want to make an effort <coughs> to leave the skin on and do some of that, and some of the some of the searing and stuff. I just get lazy about it. I don't do it. Yeah, definitely. All right, Elliot's thoughts on the ongoing drought and impact it had on the birds in the Central Flyway. 
I am so sick of the drought. I've just about had it. I, um, <clears throat> I know that I've heard a couple of the managers talking about it, and their belief is that a lot of the birds are just going to fly over because you're talking drought in Nebraska, Kansas. I don't know if the drought extends down into Oklahoma or not, but I know there are at least two of the state biology biologists who are managers that believe you're going to have a lot more flyovers. Um, however, our crop fields are still like I talked to a guy in Nebraska, a manager in Nebraska that was saying that he's concerned because they their crop fields are all burned up. So hmm. there's nothing even ag wise for the birds to eat. So even they have their reservoirs out there like 40 percent. They're at 40 percent capacity. Some are at 25 percent capacity. This is a major, major drought that we're in. I mean, you get a lake, a, ma- a major reservoir that's like at 25% capacity or 40% capacity, that doesn't change overnight. You know, I mean, so this it's a big deal. <clears throat> Our state isn't as bad, but the biggest the thing that I'm seeing is that there's so much less water that it's consolidating the hunters. So, birds come in and you've got like two days. You've got day 1, day 2, maybe day 3. Both of my trips, I've been on the cold fronts on day 3. And Aiden's limited them day one, day two. I get there day three, and it's like okay. Normally, you get three or four days. Now you get one. It's just like the local places just have so much pressure because there's so little water. So I think my guess is we're still going to have ducks show up, but they're just going to get pounded out really, really fast. I'm hoping that they go into nocturnal patterns instead of leaving the area because if they go into nocturnal patterns, I feel like I can still be successful. Um but it, I don't know. We'll we'll see. I certainly, if you're not a stater and you're asking, you don't want to come. I can tell you that right now. You don't want to come because um, there's just there's just going to be so much more pressure that you're dealing with from from other hunters, and it's just going to make for some for some really really bad days with in crowded marshes. All right, Bud Robbins says, do you guys change shot size from early season to late? <clears throat> I start off with uh, – I've been shooting the last two years browning sevens at teal, and then I switch right over to threes, and then I stick with threes for the remaining remainder of the year, which I've just made that change. I'm loving those browning sevens, quite honestly. Um, and even if I'm shooting gadwall and and uh, widgeon, I might, even, I might even use them, although I did switch. But that's what I do. We start at sevens, and we kick down to threes. Nice. Yeah, I've been running uh, boss number fives. And I'll run that for ducks all year. Um, for goose, I'll use uh, boss number threes. Mm-hmm. Um, Hunter, my buddy from Iowa, says, how about them Iowa boys representing the Mississippi Flyway on the leaderboard? Seriously, though, what is the story on your most rewarding hunt? So we'll say that... Uh, well, who are, what are they on the leaderboards? What's the names we're looking at? It's uh, Tim... <clears throat> what is his on there? I have to look, but it's Tim, and then the other is uh, that. What is it? I have to look. Yeah, I think that's what. Yeah, he's number five right now in overall birds. Yeah. And what's the other guy? I don't see a Tim on there. Mm, I'll look real quick because I'll notice it as soon as I see it. Oh, it's uh, Reynolds, Tim. At number six. Oh, he's six, so they're five and six. Makes sense, you know, they hunt together all the time, right? Yeah, they do. 
<laughs> and the way the leaderboards work is each each waterfowl species, according to what how Jordan and I feel, are have a numerical value, and so they haven't shot that number of birds. But like mallards are worth five, pintails are worth six. I think canvasbacks are worth seven. That's basically the idea. Wood duck drakes are worth two. <laughs> no, they're worth five. <laughs> yep. So some good uh good stuff on that most rewarding hunt Elliot, you want to go first on that ever in my life i guess yeah yeah okay yeah so as i was it was about my third year of hunting the area that i hunt now and i was just getting to know the area and uh at that time there was a there was very very difficult to get into this one location and uh this location is not even huntable anymore but it I just found it. It felt like it was the most secret place in the whole world. I portaged my boat down a road that you couldn't drive, crossed one marsh, a tiny little puddler layout boat. It was just Izzy and me. Crossed one marsh, crossed a river, got into the next marsh, and it's like boat ride would have been over five miles to get there, and no one got in. I'd never ever seen anyone else with a boat in this little place but me, and it was like lots of trees around and everything. And so I laid in, I laid under this tree, just Izzy and I did. And this was the, I think the second weekend of the season. And the weekend before there was actually three or four groups in this place. I got out there. I was all by myself. I couldn't believe it. And, um, there was just something about the feeling of this hunt. Cause you know, what I always talk about is I'm not trying to shoot ducks. I'm trying to shoot ducks in isolation. And I've never had a feeling of more isolation on a hunt that I can ever recall. It just felt like there was no one around for like a hundred miles. I mean, I, I just felt like the most private little thing. And so within the first couple hours, I, I killed, I think half of my limit. And it was just like small groups and singles and doubles just right in the decoys. And after a couple hours of uh, the action wasn't great, but like I said, the feeling was just unbelievable. So about 9.30 hit, it went from cloudy to sunny, died. And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. This is just the most wonderful feeling. I'm laying in here in knee-deep water in a tiny little layout boat. I got my dog with me. I got some coffee. And I'm like, I'm just going to lay here. And after about an hour and a half, all of a sudden, I didn't see anything. Some Something flipped a switch, and then there's all of a sudden ducks working again. And by noon, I finished off my six ducks, a couple mallards, a couple widgeon you know like one of those types of hunts but it was just it was the limit plus just the isolation and at that point in my life this was like the first time i wasn't really hunting with it was always just my dad and myself hunting well i had moved to this area so i was all by myself and i was like finding an area for the first time that wasn't like an area my dad was showing me right so it was like a rite of passage kind of thing and um it was just it was I, I can only partially describe the kind of emotional feel. It was partially how hard it was to get in there, the isolation, the ducks, being with my dog. It was just insane. It was unbelievable. Awesome. Yep. Definitely can agree with all those things. That's pretty cool. Yeah, for me, when we get kind of similar questions to this, you know, I've talked about two in the past. I've talked about the first time I hunted the honey hole, which I really don't hunt that much anymore. Um, and then I talk about the first time I went up and did the first chase in the opener and we went out in public land. So, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's like you said, there's, there's definitely like aspects to hunts that make it rewarding. 
It's like uh, you worked hard for it. You never, you're never going to hear a guy say like the most rewarding hunt I went on uh, was a hunt where um, I paid this guide money to to take me right. and put me on birds. Right? Like there's there's nothing I mean, wrong with that. Six there's of time, the guys sat in a blind. Right? Yeah, there's a time and place for everything. But like what I'm saying is usually rewarding hunts are like you earned it yourself kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe something special with your dog or um, your kid's first limit or whatever you know. Um, so, you know, for me, I, I don't have half of those experience yet, but, um, some of them, you know, it's like you said, it's like working hard and, and doing it in a cool place. So probably you know what hunt that we had together that just always sticks with me. The one where we laid on the ice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That was pretty cool. I mean, that feeling was there. Yeah. That like no one is around for miles. That feeling was present in that hunt. And we only shot like a couple hooded merganser, three or four mallards, a couple scop. It it didn't matter. It's like you, me, and Chief laying on that ice over that hole. That feeling was just oh man. I just oh, yeah. love that. Love that. I just watched those those your video of that recently too. I just <laughs> I will always hold that hunt. In inside me is like a really really special hunt oh yeah definitely yeah so i think for me <clears throat> me i'm gonna say probably still the honey hole hunt went out there the day before i scouted i restrained myself from going in the hole while i was seeing birds working i might have been able to walk in there by myself and shoot a limit but called my buddy up convinced him to go because he really didn't trust me yet as a hunter he hunted i really just was getting my training wheel. So it was like my first hunt I put together and we went in there and shot a two man limit. It was just unbelievable. The amount of birds that landed before even shooting light. And then after that just worked all morning. So, um, that was, that was pretty rewarding to find that and then, you know, bring a buddy and then, and, and have it all come together. Doing it yourself is important, especially those first few times you're like, all right, I did it. I, I no one else like you said is like you were just tagging along before, but that was like all right, you know what? I'm getting a little more competent at this deal. Yep, definitely. And then Brock Harrison said, "You guys should do an episode with Golden Boy." Has he ever been on the yeah. podcast at all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. just once. Once. Yeah. It was a long time ago, though, right? We should have him on and talk about being a habitat specialist because you know we've seen him go through all his college years and now he's has a biology degree. He's a habitat specialist for pheasants for forever. I'm um, through this with in, in, in collaboration with the state and might be interesting. Yep. Definitely. <coughs> he's killed 98 ducks already this year, by the way. That's insane. Yeah. Yep. Makes Matt look like a schmuck. <laughs> Matt's beating him. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Most of his are teal and Matt's starting to get the mallards rolling in. Yeah. Yep. All right. Brock Hardy said mostly for Elliot Snyder. You mentioned several times how much you value shooting ducks in isolation. It seems like you've been a bit bothered by the amount of competition this year. With that being said, do you still support the hunter recruitment initiatives of Delta and DU? Even if sure. it's act, even if it actually means less ducks in the long run for less licenses, habitat dollars. I think the trade-off of less hunters is better. Thoughts? I think the trade-off of having less hunters is better. 
That's that's what Brock is saying. Well, the emotional side of me agrees with that. I don't want more people in the marshes emotionally. I want them to myself is emotionally how I feel. But the intellectual side says we if we have to be careful. And I think Ben Page actually had um, the original creator of Falfront and our friend. He had a pretty good response um, to that to that question right there. I mean, it's like um, he brought up like trapping and how do you want to see duck hunting at the level of trapping? It's like no one hardly does it anymore. We if we have to have money to create these in environments and it's like if you look at my state all of these managers like aiden and his boss at his area these places are funded by our dollars and it would be like shooting yourself in the foot to actively not want hunters to be recruited because we don't want in 20 30 years for things to just not have enough of hunters to have enough of a voice where they start turning these places into duck watching places or, you know, bird watching areas. So we, we have to have it. Um, and I just wish what I wish, and I don't see a lot of managers doing this is, is that they don't. Okay. Let me try to break this down. When you manage an area um, at, at the areas where I live, these guys decide what's planted, where they decide what gates get opened. They decide where they're going to mow trails and they try to balance between boat hunters, walk-in hunters, that type of thing. What I don't see them trying to actively do as much as I would like is make areas, leave areas that are really, really hard to get to. They put too many mounds in the middle of these pools, right? In some of these places, they'll build these big marshes, and they put mounds within 150 yards from each other all the place. They, I don't think it's their job to make it as easy for hunters as they do. So I, I, I'm for the recruitment, but I wish that they would leave some areas knowing. I mean, help put a marsh in, you know, three miles away. And just be like, hey, you want to go hunt it? Go get it, right? Um, but I, I don't see. In fact, I'm going to talk to Aiden and, and my buddy about this and see what they say. Um, because I'm personal friends with Aiden and um, another guy. Um, I don't mention his yeah. name because it gives. But anyway, I, it's a good conversation to have. Is I'm kind of getting off on a rabbit trail, but yeah, yeah. I, I think that answers it. Yeah, I think my answer is we need we need hunters to fund duck hunting and the habitat right. and all that, and we just have to deal with the competition. It's just part of it for the health of our sport to yeah. preserve. The heritage of our sport, we must have an active um, number of people doing it. And without recruitment, it could easily dwindle off. I mean, kids would rather stay in bed and play video games than go out and hunt in their morning with their dad. You know, it's not like when I was a kid, you were bored. Kids don't get bored anymore. Being bored was an active thing when I was a kid. I remember sitting on my porch with nothing to do, thinking I'm bored out of my freaking mind. And and for those reasons, you go fishing, you go hunting. That you you learn how to play the guitar. I mean, that's what boredom brings. Boredom brings great things. And so, point being, it's like we have to actively recruit because kids aren't bored as much anymore, and they're more they're much more willing to just stick around playing video games than to go out and and do it. Definitely, Ellie. I'm going to let you start reading some of these because my. Uh... I, I do have to apologize to the audience because I've been coughing a lot, but let me get to him. Yeah, it's uh, we're right to Chadwick, or wait, yeah, Chadwick, 
landing. I'll go ahead and read them while you're coming, and then you can get Tim on the next one. Chad says, I'm a new waterfowl hunter uh, located in Michigan. What shot, size do you, what shot size do you recommend? I'm using an old Remington, and it only shoots two and three-quarter inch shells, and he's having a hard time finding them. Um, he shot number threes last year and uh, some number twos as well. Um, honestly, those shot sizes are fine. Um, if you're having a hard time finding two and three-quarter, um, Boss always has two and three-quarter. Honestly, I feel like a lot of Walmart shell options too, two and three-quarter inch steel. I don't know. I haven't I haven't shopped for that in a while. So, um, yeah, just just check stores. I know that Boss does have them online too, and that's kind of a nice thing with older guns and two and three quarter inch because they're still super deadly. Like if you go two and three quarter inch number fives, like I was talking about earlier, that's my go to shell for um, for ducks and for geese. I usually want to go a little bit higher shot size. I think you've skipped some questions. I did skip selectively. You're at who? Who are you at? We're at um, now we're John at Tim. <coughs> All right, ready? <coughs> mm. Tim Reynolds says, "When a strong cold front is coming, coming your way with strong north to northwest winds, if you only had one day to hunt, would you hunt the day before the front, the day of the front, or the day after the front?" Um, if I only have one day, I'm going to, I'm going to go after the front. I have seen, I have seen this one of the most remarkable experiences in my life, um, where ducks ride the front end one day. I, 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 I stuck around. We hadn't, there was, we hadn't shot a duck. And it was like noon. And I knew this front was coming at 12 and I'm like, and I knew these crazy North winds were coming at 12 and I'm like, I am staying to see what happens on this wind. And I'm telling you this wind hit and the ducks just came right on the front wave of it like a surfer. And it was shot my limit within like 30 minutes after they came. I've seen that happen. I've seen them come the day after. Um, I've got a, a, my manager buddy tells me a lot of times that it's the first South wind days that you see them. It's like you get a front north wind north wind and he's the that south wind day all of a sudden they're there so if you only have one day you want to do after because if they come on the on the first day of it then you're still going to get them on the after but but as far as what i think the ultimate question is what's better i and i i don't know um if you have it depends on time of year too it's like in september if you have a good north wind boom you got more teal um early october you got a big north wind boom you got more teal and so it's that way until you start getting down. Like we're at that time right now where we have highs at 55, lows at 33. We have a lot of those right now, 60s and 30s, 60s to 30. So we're past all that point of north winds will bring them in. That, and that's like the next day they're there. But we're past that point. We're the point now where north winds aren't always going to bring them in. You're, so we're talking like to get the mallard down there, you want a big, we're going to need a freeze. We're going to need a big event. And for those type of fronts, I would certainly say the day after. But I don't know. Get get do it when you can. If you can hunt all of them, hunt all of them. Up, oh, Jordan's still gone, so I'm gonna keep rolling. Uh, next one is Adam says, "Are you chasing a hole with twenty wood ducks or a hole with ten mallards?" I'm chasing a hole with ten mallards. Um, I love mallards. Mallards are the my number one duck. I absolutely love mallards. And so I'm going to chase mallards every time 
um, over wood ducks. And I know on the last podcast where Jordan was talking to some of his buddies on that trip, um, and one of the guys that he was with, I can't remember which one it was, was said, you know, anyone that says that that his statement was anyone that says that wood ducks don't decoy, you're wrong. Well, that's a way too general of a statement. If you are in a shallow water marsh and where and you have wood ducks fly by, they're nine out of ten, nine way more than nine percent of the time, not going to decoy. If you have a hole where wood ducks want to be, yes, they'll decoy. But you come out here and you go into these little prairie marshes and you throw your puddle duck set up even with a half dozen wood ducks, if they fly by, chances are they're not going to decoy. They they don't respond to a call. They don't listen to a call in those settings. So, yes, the statement he made is true for where he and Jordan and them were hunting in those little holes where you know wood ducks are coming. Yes, they'll decoy there. But generally speaking, if you're not targeting wood ducks, they're not a very good decoying duck. They don't listen to a call. They Even worse, the pintails are... <clears throat> a struggle to get to decoy but wood ducks are on a whole different level when it comes to shallow water moist soil marshes well that's not where they want to be anyway what's that that's not where they want to be well right right and i was mentioning your buddy's statement he said i don't know if you heard me say it or not i think you're away he said anyone that says the wood ducks don't decoy you're wrong and i said well that's way too generalized of a statement because in a where if if you're in a shallow water marsh like i hunt they're not going to decoy. Sometimes you might get some in it, but I mean, I've shot, I've shot one wood duck in like the past five years. If you're like you hunt them and like you guys were hunting them on that, on that trip, yes, absolutely. They'll decoy where they want to be and you're targeting them. But sure. If you're not targeting them. Then they're very, very, very difficult. I'm going to say and though, from decoy. your perspective though, right? Here's the difference, right? If you hunted that same hole that we hunted the wood ducks in your whole life and that was your only experience, you'd say, man, mallards don't decoy. Because they go land out in the moist soil vegetation. Yeah, but where mallards where mallards will land is way more uh, varied than where wood ducks want to be. I mean, you can you can shoot mallards in those same type of holes where you guys were easily. You can shoot mallards lots and lots of different places. I, I'm just saying the statement that wood ducks don't decoy. The statement he made was too generalized. Is what I'm saying. Generally speaking, in the puddle duck world, when you're hunting for puddle ducks on a normal puddle duck hunt, wood ducks don't decoy very well. There are situations in which they do where you're targeting them. Would you agree with that statement? Not exactly. <laughs> well, in the central flyway where I'm at, that's the case. That's. Uh, I, I mean, go, I'm I'm saying it's because of where you hunt. Because right. if you hunt in a prairie marsh all the time, that's not where a wood duck wants to be. Right. So, and now whether they work to the call or not, I mean, they definitely don't work to a call as well as a mallard, but also do you even have a wood duck call? Um, I've got one on Elijah's land. I wouldn't have an idea how to blow it, but I don't think it would make any difference where I'm at. Yeah. Well, if, yeah, it's not like they're going to come to it in the moist soil. You know, it's not where you're, that's not where you're hunting wood ducks. So I'm just saying if you're targeting wood ducks in very specific places, they're great at decline. But to just say that they're a good decoying duck, I would consider that to be a false statement. Oh. Generally speaking, they're not a good decoying duck. No, they are a good decoying duck. You're just hunting the wrong spot. I'm saying generalized over all of the locations of puddle duck hunting, <laughs> they're on the lower end of a duck that flies by that's going to decoy. They're not going to decoy as well. You just like if you took it into a pool and you took every single place that people puddle hunt puddle duck hunt, okay? And you put it all into a pool. 
and you averaged it out and you took all of those hunts <laughs> and you put a board and you started marking which ducks decoy the easiest down to which which ducks are more likely to fly by you and not look I would, my opinion is that the wood duck is going to come out on the way low end of that. As far as number of times they're going to look at what you're doing and come to you. I I disagree. But I would say that if you, if you made that same argument and said, um, if you blow a call at a bird, like maybe mallard would be like number one. And then like a wood duck would be on the low on the end as far as calling goes. But if you have a sat and you're in a wood duck spot, yeah, but you, they you, are likely to decoy. You keep adding that. You can't. You keep adding if you're in a wood duck spot. Did you not listen to what I said? I just don't think that's a good argument because why are you gonna? Why are you gonna? Like if you I'm went and hunted a spot, duck hunting. If you went in a Ducks spot and set up and knew that mallards didn't want to be there, you're not gonna be like you're mallards don't decoy. Uh, you're you're not listening at all to what I said. No, your argument's just dumb. No, it's not. If you're, <laughs> I'm talking about all puddle duck hunts. But it doesn't. No, it just doesn't make sense. Why does that not make sense? Because you can't, you can't be you're like generalizing people's experience over puddle duck hunts throughout the whole nation, and you're saying that doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make you sense. Took everybody that went on a puddle duck hunt, the, a wood duck is considered a puddle duck, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the the argument makes perfect sense. I'm talking about every single puddle duck hunt that people go on throughout the nation, right? Not a specialized hunt. It's like I'm not talking about I'm talking about shallow water or even lakes. I'm just talking about all puddle duck hunts. So we're not talking about specialized hunts. And you rank all of the puddle ducks to your to their ability to decoy to you based on all of the hunting locations in the nation. And you're saying that that's not a good point. Come on, man. No, be silly. you're being silly. It's like if I'm never going to go into a, a prairie marsh. And set up and be like, oh man, I can't believe the wood ducks didn't finish today. They're such bad decoyers. That's why I didn't make it specific to to but, the prairie marsh. But why wouldn't you be specific about where you're hunting and what you're hunting? Like why use that data point that doesn't matter at all? So if you were gonna say, Okay, let's let's get all of the puddle ducks, let's put put each name on a card. Guys, this is just proof. Them, proof of Elliot's them. hate for the South. Oh my gosh, that's nothing <laughs> to the South. Dope. You're not even in the South and you shoot pintails all the time. Neither is Thomas and he shoots pin, or wood ducks all the time. I'm saying, <laughs> would it not make sense if we, if we, if we got out note cards and you put the name of every puddle duck on a note card and you said, rank these birds, <coughs> generally speaking, as which one decoys, you're just on an average puddle duck hunt. You're not, you're not in a wood duck hole specifically, which you want to keep bringing it to. You're not in a prairie marsh specifically. Because Those they be the two extremes. The problem you is you're going to the ducks as their ability to decoy effectively. So so you that get to the end. Perfectly reasonable. Like, you're that would catering be a reasonable thing to do. You're catering the data to to match like your feelings. Right. All all puddle duck hunts is catering the data. No, because at the end of it, right. like this this <laughs> test is like you're you're, keeps bringing you're trying to you're trying to make a test to like give you the results you want. No, I'm talking about all puddle duck hunts. How is that all puddle duck hunts, Jordan? All of them. You're the one that no, you're talking you get, about specific wood duck. You're going to get to every the every puddle duck hunt, and you're saying that I'm general that I'm making it too specific. No, no I'm saying every that every puddle duck hunt. I'm saying that at the end of your data, you're going to get that wood ducks don't decoy, right? But then you're going to go on a, uh, on a wood duck hunt, and then they decoy great. So that's and just it's just dumb to say that they don't decoy great. One of us is being dumb. 
I don't think it's me. Because you continually want to bring it to a wood duck hole. Yes, I agree. And but why would, holes, why would we great. say that they don't decoy great when you go on a wood duck hunt and they decoy great? Because I'm not talking about going on a wood duck specific hunt. <laughs> I'm talking about puddle duck hunts. <clears throat> Freaking mallard purists. <laughs> Central flyway guys are all the same. Right. All right, um, let's just move on to the next question. Yes, please. Um, have you ever considered other types of outdoors-related content on the off-season? <coughs> um, channels tend to do good on waterfowl hunting. Yeah, we've, we've tried it. It just doesn't work. So yeah. I think it just... I it used just... to record all sorts of other videos in the off-season. And Josh, Josh and even guys like Bobby, they do lots of off-season content. But it's, all, it's still waterfowl-related. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just more beneficial just to do the waterfowl stuff. Yeah, and you need a break too. But if I could, I would. I would love to um, try some pheasant hunting on the channel. I think I think you might be able to be successful with some pheasant hunts. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. How did your pheasant? You did a pheasant hunt on your channel. How'd that do? Um, mediocre. Yeah, not horrible. I can't honestly. I don't remember. It's been a few years. Yeah, it was. A, I remember liking the video. Um, future plan for hunt stats app how to properly input your info do you add live birds to your well this is a really specific question isn't it let's <laughs> go ahead and talk about the, the future plans then. oh man Jordan and I have so many plans it's just ridiculous right now we're giving it an overall we're giving it a facelift we're changing the name and uh, I mean we're gonna we want to add dogs. I know that's on the list really soon. We want to add more things to the leaderboard. We want to streamline it to make it more user-friendly a little bit, maybe trim down the filters or make a basic and advanced filters. I mean, we've got we've got a list really long. Jordan would like to gamify it to the point where you could do one-on-one matches in the future, um, make it shareable on Facebook and hey, Instagram we, with pictures. Lots. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever get to the one-on-one phase, to be honest. I mean, that's just we were just talking out loud ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm pretty happy with Everything we're doing in the direction it's going. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. We have lots and lots of ideas. It's just getting to them and getting them down. Just time and money, like everything else in life. How do you go about public land scouting on Onyx? What filters are most useful? What land shapes and things are good to look for? Mainly hunt flooded areas off the main river. Well, you want to take that? Yeah, man, just open it up. And start scrolling, zooming, looking at everything. I keep the layers on, obviously, for public land. Um, anything that's, like, huntable, all those layers on. Then you scroll around, look at places, kind of do a radius from where you're at. Maybe you're going to a new spot. And just just look and then zoom in um, and try to find things that look ducky. You know, um, maybe things that are hard to get, get to, um, places that are further and that you're willing to go to that other people might might not be. And then from there, you just mark a whole bunch of things and go check them out. So, I mean, I I actually had so many that I had to go back and trim down what I had because the actual Onyx was becoming useless because I literally couldn't see anything because I had so many pens. So <laughs> it was just like a big blob. And I couldn't, like, I couldn't even find places that I've been before or places that I frequent because there's so many other marks that were like nearby and I'd be like scrolling. And so I had to trim down. So there is too much. There is actually a thing is too many pins. Yeah. 
Filters you need on is public land places where it'll show you whether you can actually hunt it or not. But you always want to double check the state information too, because these are I'm telling you these are not always accurate. Don't ever hunt public just based on Onyx and what it's showing you. You can hunt without referencing double checking the state information. Don't ever do that. Uh, another pro tip is I I have Google Earth up also, and I I, look, I put them two tabs side by side because sometimes the images look different. And yep. Google Earth or Google Earth tends to be a little clearer imaging um, than Onyx. So, like with the scout and I've been doing for this trip, I have them side by side, and I'll look at one, then look at the other, and look at one, and look at the other, and that really gives me two different satellite images to compare to, which matters as far as where the water is, where the water isn't, what it, lo- what it looks like, doesn't look like. Um, and then also, I will search the location for just imaging of that on the internet, and sometimes you can find pictures of stuff that give you a little better idea along with it but um, amazing tool awesome all right well this is probably a good place to go ahead and wrap up i think we hit you know 90 plus percent of the questions so thanks everybody for submitting those questions on the fellowship over there and uh you know thanks for putting up with uh my uh voice giving out and coughing just you in general just no that's you thank you elliot for putting up with me in general (laughs) (laughs) you know um but yeah good luck elliot on your trip and uh yeah that's all we got for tonight guys i'm jordan duck and chronicles elliot from freelance duck hunting and we'll see you guys on the next one